warn you on the front end that uh, we're going to talk about some scary stuff today. So uh, just get ready. Uh, let me tell you why it's going to be scary stuff. And for some, it's going to sound like it's scary and others it isn't. But we're going to talk today about cultivating authentic relationships. Now for some people, the idea of any type of relationship is completely terrifying because they're thinking, I don't like people. You know, people wear me out. I would rather not be around people. And so anything where you're talking about relationships are like, nah, I don't really want a part of that. So that's why it's scary. And others are like, are you kidding me? Do you think that's scary? The more relationships, the better. Bring on the people. I love being around people. That's great. But even for those who thrive off of people, it begins to get a little bit scary when we really start to cultivate authentic relationships. I mean, when we really begin to drop our guard a little bit and be real with one another, it starts to feel like we're overexposed. And that can be very uncomfortable. You know, speaking of that, uh, I, I have several favorite stories of my dear sweet wife when she shares some of her most embarrassing moments. So she would love it if y'all would just approach her after the service and say, Sean, would you please share some of your most embarrassing moments with us? But one of my favorites happened when she was about 11 years old. Poor sweet girl. Uh, her sister is uh, older than her. Her sister's boyfriend was about 18 at the time. Sean uh, was taking a shower at the house and, you know, got out of the shower, wrapped herself in her little towel and was headed to her room and did not know that the boyfriend was in the house. You see where this is going, don't you? So she, <laughs> she steps out, sees David, screams, and her towel falls to the floor. She completely exposes herself to the one that would be her future brother-in-law. So he still laughs about it to this day. Isn't that everyone's worst nightmare is I'm going to be exposed in some way and people are either going to laugh at me or run away in horror, one or the other, right? We don't like the thought of being completely exposed. So what do we do? We, we cover up those parts that we've been taught are shameful parts that need to be covered up. Now, I want to be really clear, when it comes to physical bodies and clothing, it is important to cover up some of those parts, okay? I won't go off on that as a sermon. That's a sermon for another day. I'm not encouraging you to run off and join a nudist colony or anything. But what I am saying is that is a picture, a physical picture of what we do emotionally. We learn what the shameful parts are. We learn what the embarrassing stuff is that we don't want anybody to see, and we clothe it and we cover it up, and we don't let anybody in. Uh, you know, this is a particularly challenging issue for our teenagers. I think it's a, a big issue for everybody, but my heart especially goes out to our teenagers, and some of them may be with us today or watching, or you have teenagers in your house. This is so hard because there's so much pressure at that particular stage of life to fit in. Right? And there's so much that's just part of what do people think about me and am I, you know, this or that. And, and it's such a challenge for that life stage. But the reality is there's some of that that continues on the rest of life, isn't there? I mean, there there's that, that continued pressure to conform and to be and whatever. And, and, and here's my thought on that. Guys, if, if your friend group doesn't love you the way you are, you got the wrong friend group. You know, we, we need people in our lives. We need to be surrounded with people where we can have authentic relationships and we can be real. We can expose those areas of our lives that we may think are embarrassing, that we may think would cause people to laugh at us or run away in horror. But in reality, what it's going to do if you have the right kind of relationships is it's going to allow those people to say, man, I'm, I'm here with you. I'm, I'm, I'm on your side. I'm for you. 
uh, and, and we'll walk through this together or whatever. So I, I love the fact that Jesus himself modeled authentic relationships. He, he even modeled what it's like to make yourself incredibly vulnerable, to expose parts of what was inside of him um, to some people that were close to him. Let, let's read about it in Matthew 26, starting in verse 36. And I want to encourage you as we read this and continue on with today's message to just put ourselves in that same spot and ask the question, am I really taking those types of steps to be open and vulnerable so that I can have truly authentic relationships? Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come, and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. So Jesus has this um, time with his disciples in a place called Gethsemane, which is the only place in the Bible where this is mentioned, or the two Gospels that record this event. It's not mentioned anywhere else, but Gethsemane was a garden at the hill of the Mount of Olives. Here's actually a picture we have of modern-day Gethsemane. You can still go, and if you go on a trip to the Holy Land, they may take you there and show you Gethsemane. Uh, probably looks somewhat similar, a beautiful place. Um, the, the, the Mount of Olives is mentioned repeatedly in Scripture, and we know that Jesus would go to the Mount of Olives. And so I suspect that this garden was a special place for him to go and pray. We see that throughout Scripture that you know, he would find time away and he would go and he would just be with his father and he would pray. And so although it's not mentioned before now, I suspect that this was kind of a go-to for Jesus when he really needed to meet with the Father. And so the, the context here of what's going on, this is such a, a difficult time. I mean, Jesus, this time, uh, he goes at night. And so uh, the, the darkness that surrounded him physically also enveloped his soul. Because he is just struggling with um, what is in front of him. He knows what's coming. What is coming is that he is about to, to die, but it's not just that he's about to die. That's really not the issue. The real issue is that he is about to die to take on the payment for sin for all of humanity. That means that all the wrath that, that God has toward our sinfulness, Jesus is about to take on himself. And so he's really wrestling with this. In fact, in Luke's gospel, when it tells of, of this uh, time where Jesus went alone and prayed, it said that he was sweating and it was like drops of blood falling to the ground. He is just in complete anguish here. And um, he is because of what he's about to do. And by the way, let me just point out the fact that what an incredible sacrifice, what an incredible love expressed. Sometimes I think we, we view God you know, as, as uh, you know, just wrathful and judgmental or whatever. Well, no, he's, he's so loving. Yes, our sin has to be punished and the wrath of God has to be 
uh, poured out upon sin, but Jesus is getting ready to take that on himself. He's getting ready to die in our place to become our substitute. The Bible talks about how the righteous, you know, his righteousness is given to us. Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. So that's what he's about to do. And he's going to offer forgiveness as a result of that. And forgiveness, what an incredible word that is. To be forgiven means to have the slate wiped clean. It means to, you know, to have all of our sins paid for. That's what Jesus is about to go through. But the process of going through that, not only would there be the physical torture, the mocking, the beating, the uh, being nailed to a cross and, and, and physically you know, not being able to breathe and asphyxiation and all the things that come along with that, all the physical torment I'm convinced was nothing compared to the spiritual torment that Jesus is about to go through. And so he's wrestling. He is in a dark place physically and in every other way. And, and so he, he pours out his heart to his disciples. And he tells them in verse 38, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Now, I want you to think about this. Jesus didn't have to do this. He didn't even have to take his disciples with him. If you were in that situation and you're struggling, you're that, just in that much anguish, wouldn't it be tempting, especially as a man, wouldn't it be tempting to say, I'm going to just get away from everybody and I'm going to, I'm going to try to work through this on my own. I'm going to try to handle this. I don't want anybody to see the level of pain that I'm in. I don't want anybody to know. I mean, you think about all the things you could have thought. Well, if the disciples know, that might be discouraging to them. They may not want to follow me. They, I mean, you know, there are all kinds of things. You ever, you ever been in a place like that where you felt pressured to perform or to put a certain front forward? And it's like, I've got to let everybody know that I've got it all together because if anybody sees any weakness in me, then, you know, that could be a problem. And granted, there are times where that is true. If you're a commander about to lead uh, a, a, an army into battle, you probably don't want to sit down with the army right before you go into battle and say, guys, it's not looking good for us today. You know, we're outnumbered. It's probably not going to go well. I just want you to know on the front end. You don't do that, right? In that situation, you, do, you, you put forward that, that, that front of strength and we can do this and, and, and you encourage. So there is a time and a place for that. I get that. But I think that, that many of us have brought that over into every aspect of our lives to where we feel like we can never admit any kind of weakness. And we think that if we do admit weakness, then that will cause others to view us differently. And here's the truth, it will. And for some, they may view you differently in a negative way. But I'm going to tell you this, the majority of people are going to view you differently in a positive way if, if you're really doing it the right way. I mean, and Jesus, we'll get to this in a minute. These are people that he knows well, he spent a lot of time with, he has a relationship with. If somebody that you know and trust opens up to you and says, this is what's going on, this is where I'm at, and I'm really struggling with this, it shouldn't cause you to look at them you know, in a less positive light. It should cause you to look at them in a more positive light. You feel more connected because they've let you in. You know? you, you, you're like, wow, you trusted me with that. It's a big deal. So, so Jesus does that, and he opens himself to his disciples, and he acknowledges it. So a few things that I want us to, to grab from this passage today that will help us when it comes to cultivating authentic relationships, which is our core value and our, our, our refocus element today that we're talking about. We need to cultivate authentic relationships. Here's the first thing we need to do, and that is express our true needs. I mean, Jesus was honest about where he was at, and he said, this, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, and he asked for help. 
I mean, he, he brought all the disciples to the garden. He left most of them there, but he brought three of them. Peter, James, and John he brought with him, I mean, further in. And that's where he just opened up to them. And he said, can you keep watch with me? Which is another way of saying, can you pray? We see that from as he comes back to them. They understood. Jesus is saying, I need your prayer support right now. I need you to be here with me. I need you to pray with me because I am in such a dark place right now um, and struggling through this. I need you to pray. And they didn't do a very good job of that. We'll see that here in a minute. But Jesus was willing to express his true needs. Sometimes we don't do that. You know, sometimes we feel like we need to hide it. You ever feel that way? You've got to hide the parts that are embarrassing or the parts from your past that maybe, you know, are painful. You feel like, well, I just don't want to let anybody know that. Listen, we, we, need to, we need to be honest. And it's scary to do that. And let's just be honest about this, too. There is risk involved when you open yourself up to somebody. It gives that person um, the ability to hurt you more deeply if you are more open with them. And that's exactly what happened to Jesus. The passage right after this one, is where Judas brings the soldiers to come and arrest Jesus. How did Judas know where Jesus was? I think it had to have had to do with his inner knowledge of being a part of this group of disciples. And he used it against him. Peter, even right before this passage, is when Jesus says to Peter, I'm going to tell you right now that before the rooster crows tomorrow, you're going to disown me three times. And yet Peter is one of the three that he brings and, and opens himself up to. I mean, think about it in, in John's gospel, uh, it, it reveals to us that Jesus washed the feet of the disciples right before, very, very close in, in time proximity to when all this is happening. He sits down with his disciples and washes their feet, including Judas, certainly including Peter, knowing that, that they would you know, turn against him in different ways. Peter was able to be restored, um, Listen, the reality is this, that when you make yourself vulnerable, and when I make myself vulnerable, we put ourselves in a place where people can hurt us. And some will. But it's worth the risk. Now, some of you don't agree with me there. Some of you are like, no, it's not. And that's why I keep a wall up, because I don't want anybody in. I don't want to run that risk. I don't want somebody to hurt me. And maybe you've been hurt very deeply before, and it's caused you to just kind of say, I don't want to go there again. And it's not fun. But here's why I believe it's worth the risk. Because there is something that happens. It's even hard sometimes to explain. But when you really develop a relationship with somebody where you're able to be truly honest with them and transparent with them, and they know the real you, I mean, the good, the good and the bad, and they love you anyway, that, that's, a, that's a freeing experience. I mean, first of all, that's the way God designed us to relate to Him. He knows everything about us, and He loves us anyway. But He also designed us to relate to one another that way, where we can be honest with each other, and some people may turn against you, some people might use it to harm you in some way, but there will be others that will just say, man, I'm, I'm there with you, and I'm coming in, and I'm going to be a part of this, and we're going to work through this together, we're going to be there together. That's huge, and that's what Jesus is allowing His disciples to do, and I encourage you, to take the risk. It is worth it to allow people to get close to you like that. But second thing, I've kind of touched on this already. I want to just point this out is that we do have to prepare for some hurt. We do have to get ready and realize uh, that sometimes it can be painful. And, you know, I use the word cultivate 
authentic relationships on purpose because when you think about cultivating soil, the first thing that you do is you have to break up that, that hard shell on the exterior. Before seed can be planted and watered and, and something beautiful can come out of the ground, the ground first has to have its hard shell broken up. And that's exactly what has to happen to us in relationship. Sometimes it's painful. I think if you could ask the soil, does it feel good? You know, when the tiller comes and if it had feelings, I think it would say no. Probably in a very, very fun experience for the soil. It's not fun for us. When that hard outer layer gets, you know, tilled up a little bit, that, that can be very painful. It can be very uncomfortable. Um, but it prepares the way for something beautiful to grow. We just need to realize uh, that, that some pain is going to be a part of that. Here's the third thing, and I think this one just... You know, it's kind of obvious to us, but I want to point it out. And that is that cultivating authentic relationships means that we must invest significant time in those relationships. Jesus didn't just do this on day one. He didn't do this with a stranger. I mean, this is a, a, an inner circle that had been with him. I mean, these are the people he'd taken up on, on the mountain and the transfiguration happened. And I mean, th this is a very, very tight-knit, very trust-based kind of relationship that he has with him, even though he knows Peter will fail him. And so we need that. You know, they'd spent time together. They spent years together doing life together and even doing ministry together, which is another huge thing here. Um, the fact that they were a part of what Jesus was doing, they were a part of this ministry, I think that brought them together at a deeper level as well. Because not only did they have a front row seat, and they did. I mean, they had a front row seat to, you know, to hear Jesus teach and to watch him heal people and you know, even bring people back from the dead. I mean, the miracles that Jesus performed, they got to observe those things, but they also got to be a part of the action. Jesus sent them out, it says, with authority to drive out evil spirits and heal and all these things. So, so they, were, they were part of it. And I mean, even when he's feeding the 5,000, the disciples go and are passing out the feed. They're, they're actively a part of what's going on. And when you're actively a part of God's work with another group of people, there's something that happens that just bonds you together at a deeper level. I mean, this explains why I've seen this happen where I've been on mission trips where it's maybe, you know, say a 10-day trip if we go out of the country or something like that. People don't know each other sometimes on the front end. They, they just maybe just very distant acquaintances. By the time you get back 10 days later, guess what? Everybody's like one family. I mean, they know each other very, very well. What happened? How did that happen so quickly in a 10-day period? Well, number one, because they did spend time together. They're together all the time. But even more importantly, they saw God do something together. They're a part of ministering together. They're a part of working towards something together. I mean, this is a principle that is true even outside the spiritual realm. It's multiplied in the spiritual realm. But this is true, and I mean, if you've been a part of this in a work environment or other types of environments where you've been a part of a team and you've been able to work together and achieve something together, there's something that brings you together. You bond together. This is true in, in sports and other things like that. I've been thinking about that lately uh, as I now hang out on the second floor of the gym and watch people play basketball rather than being down there with them doing it because the joints just said, no, I'm not going to let you do that right now. And so, but, and I miss it, y'all, I really do. I, I watch them play and there's a part of me that's like, man, I really miss that. And, and I miss the just playing, I miss the competition and all that. But, but part of what I miss is the relationships. It's amazing how you can get to know somebody so quickly. And I can't tell you how many times in my life that I've got, stepped onto a basketball court for a pickup game of basketball and not known another single person I'm playing with. And then, you know, you play three or four games together, especially if you win. Then, 
then you're really close, right? It's like you have this, it's amazing how that happens. You develop a relationship. You see them next week, it's like, hey, you know, I mean, it's just weird how that brings you together. So there's something about working together and achieving a goal together that brings you together. But do you take that over into the spiritual realm? And that gets multiplied many times over. You're part of kingdom work together. You're doing ministry together. You're seeing God work through you together. Now you're really being brought together. So, I mean, very practical thing I would encourage you with. Make sure you're a part of a ministry team where you can lock arms with some people and, and, and really see God do something. And that will help you cultivate relationships and it will help them grow a lot faster. And then I also want to encourage you to take a step to put yourself in biblical community so that you have the opportunity to, to get to know people at a deeper level. Um, you know, I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, guys, coming and coming to church or sitting at home and watching online or whatever and, and not interacting with anybody and just, that's not enough. That's not what we were designed for. You know, we were designed for a deeper level of community. And so get involved. Get involved in a connect group. Uh, get involved in some type of spiritual community where you can really get to know others and, and be known. And people can know you and, and love you just as you are. It's, it's huge to have those types of relationships. So Jesus had that. He expressed to them what his deepest need was. I need your support. I'm, I'm, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Here's my question for you is do you allow people to have that type of access to see what's going on inside of you? Do you have relationships that you've developed where there's trust established where you can do that? It's really important, and it's, it's, it's part of being authentic together. And I'll tell you something else that it does, and this is pretty cool. It opens the door, and here's the fourth thing that I want to point out, the last one, is that when we cultivate authentic relationships, it enables us to hold one another accountable. You know, when we have that relationship, we can hold each other accountable. Look, let me reread verse 40 and 41. It says, then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Now, here was his response. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. See, Jesus holds them accountable here. Uh, he, he tells them how it is. And we desperately need people in our lives that will tell us how it is. And we'll just say, hey, here's what I see. And, and you know, that's... Accountability is best given and received in the context of trusting relationships. So building those authentic relationships, uh, it's, it's a big deal. It's something that we need to do individually. But I have to tell you, too, this is a really big deal for me as well for our church. This is a really high priority is that we create an environment where people can be real with one another. I have no interest in having a church where people come together and they're all put together all the time. How are you? I'm fine. And everything in my life is good and everything's wonderful. I mean, what good does that really do? Now, we need avenues and ways where we can say, okay, here's where I'm struggling. Here's, here's where I'm being honest with you about where I'm at right now and opening ourselves up a little bit to that. It's difficult. So that's important for me. Um, on a personal level, on a church level. So I'm encouraging, I'm challenging you to open yourself up. Be open with people that you can trust. Now, I never want to encourage you to do something that I'm not willing to do myself. So let me, let me just share with you a couple things. I was thinking through this. Like, what are the things that are, that are weighing most on me these days? You know, what, what is it? If I could say, I, I don't feel like my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death right now. I mean, sometimes it gets, gets that way a little bit. Um, 
And obviously, without going into my, my biggest thing, I'll, if you know our daughter and her health situation, that's always number one. But I feel like I talk about that all the time. So I'm not going to talk about that one right now. What I want to talk about on a personal spiritual growth level is just the need to be more bold in sharing my faith. That's something that I've really asked for prayer for. I've t- we've talked about that. I'm passionate about it, but it doesn't mean I always do it like I need to. And so I, a lot of times I'm just don't have a conversation I should have or a chicken out or whatever else. And so I'm asking you to help pray for, for greater boldness there. On a church level, the thing that, that weighs on me most is the impact that COVID is having and maybe more importantly will continue to have on our church, yes, but really on the church together. I'm concerned about that. And here's my concern. My concern is that... Uh, it's becoming easy for us to use COVID as an excuse not to do a lot of things in our lives that, that we ought to be doing. Uh, guys, I, I, I was on the, I think it's happened twice to me. Maybe it was the same phone answering uh, message that I got, but, but I'm on hold with people where they say, due to COVID-19, the whole time might be longer than usual. And I'm like, Why? Seriously, people are desperate for work. Like, have you laid people off? And that's why are they work? Can they not work from home and answer at the same rate that they can answer in an office? I don't get. I'm seriously. Every COVID's an excuse for everything. If something didn't happen, it's like let's throw COVID out there, and it's an excuse. Here's my concern: COVID can become an excuse to become detached from the family of God, from the church. Now, I get it. I totally get it. There are people right now watching at home. And you need to be watching from home, and I get that. There, there are circumstances that, that need that. But there are also a lot of circumstances where it's, frankly, it's just easier. And it's been an opportunity to get lazy. And to say it's a whole lot easier for me to wake up and keep my pajamas on, sit in front of a TV, and I'll have to mess with getting the kids ready, and I'll have to do all this. And that's, that's a concern that I have, is what does the church look like moving forward as people have gotten comfortable and, frankly, just a little bit lazy uh, in their faith, because we need each other. You know, we need relationships. We need uh, to be to be authentic. You can't develop all of that through a screen. You know, uh, thankfully we can take steps in that direction. I'm thankful for Zoom and other things like that. It's helped us in our in our connect group to stay connected. You know, through this time. But ultimately, that's not the goal. That's not where we want to head. So I want to challenge you. Just well, first of all, I want to challenge you to, to take steps to be in community around other people. Uh, because we need that. But, but I also want to challenge you to be open enough to just be really honest about where you are. I, I want Judd to come uh, and prepare to, to lead us in a, a song here, just a, a fantastic song. You, if you listen to Christian Radio at all, you'll probably recognize it pretty quickly. It's played quite a bit right now. But as I was reading through this passage and thinking about this morning's message, this song kept coming back to mind uh, over and over again because the lyrics are so powerful. Uh, why is it that, that we feel like we have to have it all together? You know, why is it that we feel like we have to have a friend? And why is it that we buy into the lies that, you know, I'm the only one that's a little messed up? It's not true. Why can't we just admit that we're broken and then allow God to step in and do what he wants to do once we get honest about it?